0: Hello, welcome to Good Questions, Real Answers. I'm Kimberly with Light and Land Ministries. This is Monty Judah. Good morning, Monty.
1: Good morning. How
0: are you today?
1: I'm excellent. Good. I'm,
0: I'm glad. Yes, we are in our first month, January of the new year. I hope everyone is doing well out there. Is
1: that when this is going to be broadcast? Yes, sir. Okay.
0: We're in January. Right. That's right. And uh, we have many intriguing questions today. So let's jump right in. All right. All right. Today, our first question is something that we've had many emails and Facebook messages about, so I'm, I'm glad we're tackling this one today. One of our followers said that several people she knew told her not to have anything to do with the Star of David on it because it was actually a pagan symbol. She asked if you could help explain this and help her to know more about that.
1: Well, first of all, let me give you a short answer. That's nonsense. It's not a pagan symbol. It's been a symbol that's been around for a long time. It's associated with Israel. It very clearly is associated with Israel today. The Jewish people. It's part of the flag of Israel It's part of their national symbols and so forth. But this issue has bubbled around and kind of comes up every 15, 20 years. And part of it, the reason is because the hexagon star, you know, that you've got the six point star, it has been used in other places and other cultures. And some of those cultures were pagan. So suddenly they see a similar symbol to what Israel is using and has been using. And they think, oh, that made it a pagan symbol because some pagan people used it. Mm -hmm. That's nonsense. The things of God belong to God. And just because the devil comes along and imitates it doesn't mean it discredited what God did. So this whole business about the star David and his pagan and so. just this is trivial and it, quite honestly, it's a waste of time. Yes, don't listen to somebody that's saying that they're just trying to find complaint. Let's associate ourselves with people that are not accusing others but rather encouraging and building up people in the faith. Yes, let me be assured to you that in this world, there's no question that that's a symbol that represents Israel and the people of Israel.
0: Amen to that. Amen. And I'm glad that you brought into that explanation that the things of God belong to God. Right. And so if God wants that star to be the symbol of Israel and the Israeli people, the Jewish people, it's not a pagan symbol.
1: Well, the same thing is of all the other symbols, such as a menorah with seven candles. Mm-hmm. Just because you see some other kind of candle labrium that has seven candles and it's, oh, we can't use the menorah now because somebody else used that. Right. That's nonsense.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. And I hope that helps several of our viewers that have had that question it's really been bothering them. Some of the emails I, I get tell them. Don't don't listen to really people that come and
1: want to accuse you for silly reasons. Just yes. don't listen to accusers. This Amen. is the work this is the work of the synagogue of Satan. They find fault and accuse the brethren. Yes indeed don't so listen to it. Be
0: strong in your faith. Amen. Um our second question comes from Todd but we've also had others ask this question and we actually talked about this at our morning meeting this morning. Can we as believers Receive blood from anyone, or does the Bible say we're not supposed to? What about blood products such as transfusions or bone fusions? Please help us to understand what the Bible says about this.
1: Okay, well, the Bible says a couple of things about this. One, the Bible says that any excrement that comes from a human body, such as blood and a whole variety of other things, let me just leave it at that, are considered to be unclean. You're not supposed to come into contact with that. And it's unclean, it's defilement, with regard to going to the temple. Yes. Okay, it it doesn't corrupt you as a person, but it means you can't go to the temple in that state. You gotta make some corrections. However, the overarching commandment that is in the Torah, and this is where this issue comes in, is at at the conclusion to Deuteronomy, one of the last things that Moses said in giving us the Torah, he said, that you shall live by these commandments that is a very powerful statement that's saying that all of the commandments were given so that you might have a life that you might live and you prosper and be successful that's the reason why we follow the torah and it's a little bit like say all the different traffic laws why do we have all these traffic laws it's so that they want to make it possible for you to travel in the midst of many other people and safely get to where you want to get. That's right. If everybody follows those the stop signs and the speed limits and so forth, we're all going to get there safely. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to get hurt. So the laws are so that you might live, so that you might prosper and do that. Well, the same thing is true of all the Torah commandments. However, let's look at some possible exceptions. What if I need blood? I need a blood transfusion. I've been injured and I, I need mm-hmm. some blood. And so Well, remember the commandment, you shall live by these commandments. And one of the exceptional conditions of the commandments is, if your life is at stake, and you're doing this so that you might live, that is a different condition than the normal conditions, and therefore, you set aside that commandment so that you can pursue life. So, even though blood from another person might be classified as unclean as a substance, it is acceptable and you're not violating the unclean and purity laws because you're living as a result of it. The same thing is true of, you know, there's a lot of venomous poisons Mm -hmm. from snakes that are made into anti potent medicines. And you may have to get an injection of actually venom of -hmm. the snake to counter the snake bite. Mm -hmm. That's a case of where you've got something that's poisonous and dangerous but it's been handled differently so that you can live. Right. So again, the classic one is the ox in the ditch. Yes. I don't care if it is Sabbath, if that ox needs to get out of there to live, you you will go get that ox out of there and there'll be a lot of labor's work. Get that ox out of there so it might live. And the commandment, you shall live by these commandments, extends to our neighbor extends to our animals. It extends to life. Mm -hmm. You shall do these things so that you might live. Yes. So that's, you know, every commandment has an objective, a standard, and a condition. And so you're really asking the questions about some very special conditions. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to you will live and you need this to live, that condition, therefore, is how you interpret the commandment.
0: That's perfect. And I think doctors and police officers, fire people, they also follow that if they're, observing commandments, they work on Sabbath sometimes to and, preserve them. And,
1: and there's no one who's going to accuse them of violating Sabbath right. because they're doing things for the life of the community. Yes. So it's all the civil servants, policemen, firemen, doctors, nurses, all of the people that are helping people to live, Yes. that's the conditions, and therefore that exempts you know the violation of the commandment because right. you've got a different condition. That's Absolutely. Associated
0: with it. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. I know that that will put their minds at ease and know that there are some things, as you said, it's in order to live.
1: Well, you know, we have a lot of brethren who are policemen and firemen and doctors and nurses, and and I assure them, you're not violating Sabbath because you go and work and, and help people in the community on that right. day. You're not violating Sabbath.
0: Amen to that. And we need them. So Amen. I'm glad that we have to that live. condition. We yes. need them to live. Absolutely. Well, Sandra, one of our followers, she's been watching Insight into Isaiah. And she has a question about episode 12, in which you're talking about Israel having a certificate of divorce. And she believes that she might have a misunderstanding. She said that in the episode, she thought that you said Israel was not given a certificate of divorce, but in Jeremiah 3 8, she reads that Israel was given the certificate of divorce. So she really needs some help in clearing that up so that she has a better understanding.
1: All right. So the first thing we have to say is at the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, there was a northern kingdom of Israel. There was a southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom was called the house of Israel. Southern kingdom was called the house of Judah. Mm -hmm. Different kings, you know, reigned and Ephraim broke away from the rest of Israel down in Jerusalem. And the prophets are sometimes commenting on the house that they're from. For example, Isaiah was to the house of Judah. Jeremiah was to the house of Judah. Other prophets you know, were to the other one. Yes. And not only will they speak to those particular houses, but sometimes they will speak to the other house at the same time. It is very clear that the house of Israel was told that they were given a certificate of divorce. And so the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, they were scattered. And in fact, the judgment that Hosea gives to us on that, they lost their identity. They lost even their name. Now, um, you know, sometimes when a person gets divorced, they get to change their name. And they don't have the name that they used to have. Right. You know, that, that's part of the dynamic of the divorce. Yes. But the house of Judah never got the certificate so when you hear that language in there we're talking about the slightly the difference about the way god dealt with the house of judah versus the way that he dealt with the house of Ephraim. i see and that's what the nuances are in, in regard to it but let me go a step further okay so we know god still's hanging on to judah never quite got rid of them. but the house of israel they you know they lost their name they lost their identity they're you know they're low of me not my people anymore it's like they're divorced right but- However, the Torah says that if someone gets divorced, but they do not go into a relationship with another person, in this particular case, another God, Mm -hmm. that they can come back and be remarried and established again. the, the, The one Torah commandment about divorce, it says you can't go and get married to somebody else. You can't go back to the original. Well, you can go back to the original covenant, the original relationship, if God is the one who's remembering the covenant and keeping it for you. Okay. And that's what God states about this whole business. He states, even though Israel has done everything to put themselves into a divorce Mm state, and he's showing in the house of Judah, I'm not going to give you the certificate in the house of Israel. Yeah, I did, but I'm still bringing you back and I'm still going to restore you because I'm going to keep the covenant for you. So, what I would say to people is, just as we understand in a relationship how important it is to one get married mm-hmm. and what is involved with that and and how how important and how incredible it is if you get divorced yes and what the impact on the relationship is god's power in having a relationship with us goes beyond those things when he says, "I keep covenant." Mm-hmm he keeps both parts so no matter what we do we we're guilty for our behavior but no matter what we do he's not going to break the covenant
0: that's amazing
1: and that that is amazing if you're looking for a picture of god's grace and mercy toward all of his people i i don't know that you can find a, a, a grander one no
0: certainly not in
1: terms of the relationship
0: that's exactly right and so
1: I'm don't thoughtful. don't get so concerned you know about that it's really the prophets were trying to, uh, the, and the language that they were trying to shock Israel to understanding yes. about this relationship business—that
0: they had gone away from God,
1: they had gone away. That God is justified in divorcing them.
0: Yes. Mm. Well, I hope that clears that up for you, Sandra, and all the rest of you that had that question. Now we have a question from David, okay. and he has been reading our Yavo magazine. And he has a question about our November issue, which was about threat assessment and mitigation. Okay. And he asks this. He says, you mentioned that the threat can be eliminated by waiting and watching for the Lord and getting more oil for your lamp. Can you be more specific on how we can get more oil for our lamps?
1: Okay. So let me just recap kind of what I was saying there. We have a number of references in the scripture which is coming in parallel with the coming of the Lord and establishing His kingdom and the judgment that will be coming upon the world. So God is always giving us recommendations. You need to prepare for this. You need to be oriented to this. You cannot ignore this. Don't forget this. If you believe you're in the last generation, you have to treat this subject very seriously. Yes. That the Lord's going to be coming potentially in my generation. And if that be so, if you believe that, Why then you need to be very serious about that. So there are some preparation things. I would remind you that as a keeping of the faith, we do preparation things all the time. There is a day of preparation before the Sabbath Mm -hmm. where you have to prepare to keep the Sabbath. And you have to prepare to keep the feasts. If you're going to have Passover in your home, you're going to have to prepare the home and the table for your guests and for Passover. If you're going to Tabernacles, you're going to have to prepare by getting your sukkah ready. Yes. Now, the reason I mentioned that in the last is because the prophecy indicates that Tabernacles is going to have a lot more to do with us in the Second Coming than any of the other feasts. Mm -hmm. And part of it has to do with those who escape the Great Tribulation and survive and endure through the whole thing. They're going to be doing essentially what we do at Sukkot. You're going to have to leave your house. Get your tent, get your temporary shelter, your RV, whatever it is that you're going to have for a shelter and your equipment that goes with it. And you're going to get ready because that's what you're probably you and your family are going to be in for the next three and a half years until the Lord returns. And you'll be in the camp of the righteous and moving and mobile for it, just like the children of Israel when they left Egypt. Lots of parallels, lots of scriptures explain this. So when I'm talking to people about preparing, Mm -hmm. if you'll concentrate and focus on keeping the annual appointed times, Mm -hmm. keep the Sabbath, you know, continue to learn, you're actually preparing for those days. Yes. And in particular, if you come to the Feast of Tabernacles and you load your family up and you go play Mm -hmm. eight days camping, you're actually doing very direct preparation for the event that's coming at the end. Mm-hmm. The people who have no idea what Sukkot is, they have no idea how to load their family up, go get a tent, be on a temporary shoulder, they're they're hurting. Mm-hmm. They when the time comes that we gotta go, they are they don't know what to do. Right. But the people who've been doing Sukkot and doing the appointed times, they know exactly what to do. Yes. And so you see the the example of the one that was prepared and you see the example of the one that was not prepared. Now, again, what does the Lord really say to us about it? prepare, get ready for what's going to come. I've told you all these things in advance, so you'll trust me and believe me and follow me. Yes. The, that in the simplest way is the answer to his question.
0: Okay, so preparing spiritually, preparing physically, that's really putting more oil in your lamp.
1: That's true. You know, you're getting what you need in place first. And in the case of, you need to go learn about sukkahs. you know, what kind of tent do you need? What, how, what size of tent do you need? Uh, if you've got a family, you need a bigger tent, you know, and, and things like that. What's the equipment I need to set up my tent or take down my tent? Or how am I going to cook my food? How will I stay warm? How will I stay dry? Mm-hmm. You know, all of the basics of life, you can do things to prepare for that and learn how to do those things
0: excellent answer. David, we hope that helps. Preparing is always a good thing, and the Bible tells us to be prepared so that you can be wise and get through the times that are coming. Now, we have a question about Sabbath from Miranda. Miranda and her husband have been invited to their niece's wedding. The wedding will occur on Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So they're in a quandary because The husband wants to go to the wedding. They think they should. It's family. They need to go to the wedding. But they're both concerned about keeping Sabbath. So the issue is they'll need to travel. They need to hotel and buy food and beverages and things like this along the way. What are your thoughts on going to the family wedding on Sabbath?
1: Okay, short answer, go to the wedding. Yes. The short answer. By the way, did you know that weddings are spiritual ceremonies before God? Yes. What a wonderful thing to do on Sabbath. Right. But let's talk about some of the other mechanics of traveling, purchasing, other kinds of things. So let me say right off the bat, I overuse that expression. (laughs) I like baseball. We're told that these commandments about Sabbath, they're commandments that come from God. They're not commandments of men. Right. And men don't have the right to judge you with regard to how you keep the Sabbath, with regard to any of its commandments and and other factors associated with it. Paul very clearly in in Colossians 2 says, let no man judge you concerning a Sabbath, a holy day, a new moon. Don't let anybody judge you on that. And the reason is they don't get to set the conditions. Now, what I suggest that you do is learn the commandments of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And there's about seven basic things that we're told about Sabbath one of them is that you don't cause your servant to work you, you remain in your place you know I won't go through the whole teaching but there's a number of them but in each one of those you have to take into account what are the conditions where you're at and how do you deal with that now in the days of Yeshua let me give an install illustration In the days of Yeshua, a Sabbath day journey was approximately three-fifths of a mile. Right, And because Jerusalem is up and down terrain, it's not flat. Right, And they had figured out that a man gets out of his house and he walks about three-fifths of a mile somewhere in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, he'll break sweat. In other words, it's a laborer's task to continue to keep walking. And so they said, hey, we're not supposed to be laboring, we're supposed to be resting. That's the commandment. So they said, we'll limit to travel to three-fifths of a mile. now other jews and people of israel they've been in other regions and lands now we have the ability to get on a horse with a wagon and we can go and and it's not a laborious thing right. for us to do and so the general rule then that came over the people of israel scattered in the world was that you could travel But you have to have two of the three meals of the day in one place. And that becomes your place Mm -hmm. at that point. So let's say you get up in the morning, you travel until lunchtime, and then you have lunch, and then you have your dinner there. You have not violated travel. And that's what a lot of Jews do with regard to going Mm synagogue, is they will position themselves in such a way that two of them are in their home, Mm -hmm. and the one that they had to travel on was they they did violate Sabbath. Now, today we have jet airplanes and I can get on an airplane here in Oklahoma right after breakfast and I can have lunch in California right, and still stay there and so forth. So again, how do you interpret the conditions? Uh, The standards that you have to do it to Mm -hmm. you know what the Bible specifically says it says it's God's commandment You're the one who's trying to obey from the heart. So why don't you figure that out? there you go and Don't be listening to anybody set standards Judaism is filled with do's and don'ts Mm -hmm. Paul took great issue with it. In fact, if you want to follow Judaism's example, there's only 1,583 specific instructions, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I'm not making that number up. That is what the number is. Yes. You will chase your tail forever with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Forget that. Don't let any man be your judge.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for clearing that up. I know a lot of people need to know that. They want to know because they want truly to follow the Lord's commandments, and they just don't know how to interpret it given today's circumstances. You have
1: no idea that if you, when you obey from the heart, yes. that's what God sees. Not the technical issues that some man might talk about.
0: There we go. Well, Sandra, we hope that clears that up for you and your husband. And have a good time at your niece's wedding, by all means. Our next question is from Alana, who has a question about the wheat and the tares. Mm -hmm. She said, if the tares are taken first and the good wheat is left, where are the tares taken and is the good wheat the believers?
1: Okay, so we're talking about a parable we're talking about the messiah is trying to explain at the end of the ages there's going to be a division a separation of those that belong to the lord and those that don't belong to the lord so he uses the expression of wheat and tares tares are weeds that would grow up in the middle of the crop i've been a part of the harvest i know what this is about this is a a wonderful example and basically you're going to harvest both Mm -hmm. but you're going to separate and the weeds are going to go here and in this particular case, what he talks about he says, they'll be going to be burned up, mm. to be destroyed. Whereas the wheat is gathered in, it's thrashed, and we get the good grain. And so it is a parable, a simple parable from agriculture that talks about God at the end of the age is going to be separating out his people from the people that are opposed to it.
0: So the tares or the people that are opposed to God don't believe in Correct. God. They go to get destroyed, destroyed. Wow. The enemies
1: of God will be destroyed at the day of the Lord. Yes, They will be exterminated.
0: And so we want to find ourselves on the right side of that.
1: Yeah. You want to be the stuff that makes bread.
0: Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, indeed. I absolutely do. Absolutely do. Okay. We have time for one more question. All right. This question comes from Johanna and she has been learning about the greater Exodus in your teaching. She's watched the teachings. She's read some about it, how to prepare spiritually and physically, as we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And the appointed day when we see the abomination of desolation is to flee. Mm -hmm. Here's her question. She and her friends have made plans to be together when all of this happens, but they're not sure where to go exactly. How will they know where God wants them to go? And she also asks, will God lead his people again in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night.
1: Okay, two questions. Let's do the first one. Mm-hmm. Where do you go when it's time to escape? You see the abomination of desolation, and you enjoy the Passover, and the Passover is the beginning of the Exodus. Yes. You get up and you start leaving Egypt. That That's the cue of when you do. You've learned the lesson of what the greater Exodus is about. So what I say to people, I think this is the most straightforward, simple answer there is. Where do you go? Well, the first assembly point, of the ancient exodus out of egypt was a place called sukkot
0: mm-hmm.
1: that was the first assembly point point. and i think the same thing exists for us now the question i would say do you keep the feast of tabernacles do you go and join with brethren in a place because if you do that's the first place you're going to go to you're going to go and assemble with other brethren that you know that you know it's safe to be in that camp so that's the first place now if you're not keeping the feast of tabernacles and you're not going to a place let me urge you and encourage you start doing that yes that will be the answer to your question where do you load up and where do you go during the feast of unleavened bread during the days of haste you know where where do you go so that answers that particular question and the her second question is well once we get into the camp how how are we going to be led and we're in a mobile state and how, how who will lead us the answer is the pillar yes. the pillar is prophesied again to come back and to lead us and if you'll stop and think about it if we have all these different camps all over the world how in the world is the lord going to orchestrate and move all of us when we need to be moved well we we all get a pillar to lead us just like the children of israel had the pillar. When the pillar would raise, it told everybody get the camp ready to move. When the pillar would move, they kept moving. When the pillar would stop and settle, they would say, okay, we're supposed to camp here. So everybody could see it. Mm-hmm. No matter where you were at in the camp, you didn't have to hear a command from Moses or Joshua up at the front. All you had to do was pay attention to the pillar, mm-hmm. and it would, it would lead you. to say, hey, we're still moving. We're still moving. Okay, we're, we're getting ready to stop. Mm-hmm. And it's a very simple way to do it. The rest of the world will not get it right it'll just be a cloud out there some kind of weird vertical cloud mm-hmm. but in nighttime we'll have a nice night light for the camp <laughs> so i have every expectation that god knows how to save his people yes we're going to be actually the exodus out of egypt was just the prototype of what is going to be the greater exodus that will take place yes. and Jeremiah is very emphatic about saying this, that the day's coming when we use the word Exodus, we will not be referring to ancient Egypt. That word will suddenly take on a whole new meaning for us because that's when God will be gathering up his people from all the nations of the world and on being on the journey to the promised land.
0: Yes, and you know, I think a lot of Christians particularly miss that in Jeremiah. They miss that script, that verse. I know in our family, when we came into following the Messianic faith, when we first learned about that verse, we were shocked that we had never read, even in studying Jeremiah previously. It's like the old saying of, you've never seen that verse before, even though you've read it a hundred times. It just, I think God at this time, and we've talked about this too, here as we're coming into the end of days, is revealing more and more mysteries to more and more people
1: you're you're right, Kimberly. That this is a dynamic that's going on in this generation. People have read the same verses, but their eyes went right over the words, mm-hmm. and there was no understanding. Right. But now, in these days, there's more insight coming forth. We're starting to see things a little more clear. As you get, it's a little bit like on a journey. As you get up on this hill, you see more of what's in front of you. You you didn't know about that when, before you got over that hill, but right. now you know. And so as you journey along, learning about this. More and more information becomes available. I have I've heard this hundreds of times, where I will teach a verse, and share something that is very common that they read, and suddenly somebody will come up and say, "I've read that verse hundreds Mm -hmm. of times. I've never seen what you just shared." And oh my gosh, my eyes are open. Exactly. And Jeremiah 16, Jeremiah 23 about the greater exodus is one of those examples.
0: Absolutely is. Well, Johanna, we hope that that is an encouragement to you and your friends. As Monty said, if you haven't been keeping Feast of Tabernacles in your area or in your region somewhere, we urge you and encourage you to please find a group that is doing that so that you'll all know how to do that when the time comes. Amen. All right. And we are out of time for today. So would you pray for us? Yes.
1: Father, thank you for the time that we've had together. Thank you, Lord, for the brethren that are asking the questions they are. We know, Lord, they represent their interest in you. I ask by your Holy Spirit to teach them, encourage them, and build them up in their most holy faith and show them clearly to have eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to understand your things. We pray for that in Yeshua's name.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Good Questions, Real Answers. We pray that you have learned something today that you can take with you. And we encourage you to keep digging in your Bible to know the word as clearly as you can. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next week on Good Questions, Real Answers.